this is episode number six for antibodies uh i'm here in a conference room and joining me is a budding virologist shutonu kabhar yeah <laughs> and amari the undergrad <laughs> jonathan the undergrad hello <laughs> i almost forgot <laughs> and nick the undergrad Our paper uh, for discussion today is T-cell responses to the whole SARS coronavirus. I am very bad at virology. Uh, Tanu, can you tell us what is coronavirus? Uh, well, coronavirus is the hype right now, but it has been there since forever. And this is a single-stranded positive sense RNA virus, which I'm going to talk more about today. but basically the full name of the paper which you missed some words are t cell responses to whole sars coronavirus in humans this is oh. a paper from 2008 and i'll also provide the reason why i'm choosing such a old paper mm-hmm. firstly because sars is there no more sars was already mm, extinct in 2000 what is sars is it uh, is it a, is it a disease or is it a, the name of the organism well sars which is severe acute respiratory syndrome is a disease and the virus is named after it which is sars coronavirus oh you guys know that hmm? uh, i'm very bad at virology i'm i'm so glad that i'm here to explain <laughs> everything Well, this paper was collaborated by multiple institutes because SARS was a, was a huge deal back in almost two two decades back. But it has institutes from China, from UK, um, and I think yeah, UK and China collaborating and producing this paper in Journal of Immunology. But. For the coronavirus, so if it, if it was always there, you said that it was a big deal before, and now it's not. And just now we we're hearing about that. Well, I did not hear about this ever before. Coronavirus is not a species. Coronavirus is the whole family or the genus. So it's like coronavirus, coronavirus, and then the thing we are having now is the novel 2019 coronavirus, which is also commonly called Wuhan coronavirus because oh. it originated in Wuhan. but the paper talks about the SARS coronavirus which was originated in Guangdong region also in China but even apart from that there was another epidemic of MERS coronavirus what's MERS it's middle eastern respiratory syndrome and it was originated near mm, middle eastern region <laughs> middle eastern yeah. Iraq Iran I don't know okay what is the host so these can uh, infect humans are there other animals that these can infect it can actually it came from bats which is horseshoe bats and it is called a zoonotic virus because it can jump from species to species and evolve itself in a way that it can actually survive in its new host so it was in bats mm-hmm. uh, horseshoe bats and then when the horseshoe bats in the wild just peed or pooped in the food of <laughs> the mm, civet cats or raccoon dogs they got the virus and then the virus evolved itself to survive in them and cause severe disease oh but again in the guangdong region of china 
the civet cats were used as food for uh, animal fights they did animal husbandry of the civet cats Wait, in they, that they region civets did you, have you guys ever heard of this this animal called civet i just heard about that first time when i was reading this paper yeah me too it's a kind of cat it is a wild cat and kind of it's eaten in china it is used and in as also a food used in animal fights <laughs> yeah okay. i'm not like 1000% sure about the fights but as a food yes okay um so you said it's spread from bats to but do but i think bats don't get the disease bats do not that's because they are the natural reservoir and when you call a species a natural reservoir only when the virus has learned to coexist with that species that means the virus can stay in that species forever may or may not replicate but it will stay in that species without causing any kind of clinical symptoms so here's a word called reservoir that means they can coexist like yes. a symbiote uh well everything <laughs> has a different meaning and then a vector that carries the disease but the uh, the disease causing organism cannot divide in the vector so there's an interesting story behind it mm-hmm. so when the sars came up science was a bit slow during that time mm-hmm. so even when the sars epidemic sorry endemic stopped mm-hmm. uh, people didn't know what was the actual species from where the sars came okay. and uh, afterwards they were suspecting the civet cats to be the ho- host mm-hmm. but then it was found that civet cats in the farmed regions where they are found uh they do not have the disease they do not carry the disease only the civet cats which are in the wildlife they carry the disease secondly the civet cats also showed symptoms but if they were the natural reservoir they should not be showing symptoms right mm-hmm. so that's how people researchers then went forward and found out that it's actually the horseshoe bat which has this disease which is the originator of the is disease is it for every organism that there is a reservoir and a host and different separately it is very different like for arboviruses the viruses which are spread through arthropod like ticks and mosquitoes mm-hmm. they are different they spread via vectors okay so you're saying some some viruses spread some disease this is causing these pathogens spread through vectors some through reservoirs the reservoirs isn't directly coming to the urban area mm-hmm. so they have the jungle cycle but okay. in this case the civet cats came to the urban area and caused the disease the urban cycle but somebody opened a cave of bats and <laughs> this could it be the reason of sudden outbreak actually maybe or the bats suddenly woke up and decided to <laughs> pee and poop in yeah, their food. Were you telling me the bats can sleep for a, or stay in a cave for a very long time? They can. <laughs> yeah, and long, that's that's about. the reason that well, it differs from species to species of bats, but it, it's the reason that people still think that SARS pandemic can come again. Mm-hmm. That's because the natural reservoir is bad and you cannot actually remove the disease from bad or know that the bat has that disease because they do not show symptoms 
so you cannot just go and kill every bat you see mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> there is a line in this paper that says if the natural reservoir is bad then we should stop thinking about eradicating this disease <laughs> <laughs> humans are really afraid of bats in this world but is there any other introduction you want to give us before um, we start with the results and do you guys have any questions um no i think i'm following this one was pretty straightforward okay well i can talk more about it yeah, yeah tell us tell us something about so you said this is single stranded rna and the positive positive stand what does that mean what does what does this mean by a single stranded rna and positive strand virus well viruses can have multiple types of genome mm-hmm. so it can have the genetic material as rna or dna and even in that they can have either either double strand or single strand mm-hmm. and when i say positive strand it's the um like almost same as the mrna the coding the non coding oh so positive is the non coding strand yes it's the <laughs> minus strand from where you can directly code the mrna okay so the positive just a template for the mrna i mean okay 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 and does the virus use the hosts uh enzymes for this or the virus codes its own enzyme um the virus itself has the rna dependent rna polymerase but okay. of course it does all its replication cycle in the host cell okay so the rna dependent rna polymerase allows it to create more rna using an rna template is that right yeah so every virus main aim is to produce the protein first and then the protein gets like divided into multiple proteins and then they act as replicases or polymerases and then they start producing or replicating their genome and producing more genome copies and there is no dna intermediate this rna is never converted to dna unless it's not this one but yes for retroviruses they you guys always... know that only retroviruses have reverse transcriptase hmm. actually didn't. i i i was always taught that RNA viruses have reverse transcriptases but it's actually that only retroviruses have reverse transcriptases yes other RNA viruses don't need can to... survive on yeah. their own yeah. <laughs> so when an RNA virus infects a cell it how does it copy itself if it doesn't use a reverse transcriptase does it make so, RNA copy yes the if for this virus because it is a positive strand it will first produce a negative strand RNA virus Mm-hmm. Uh, and from this negative strand you can produce another positive strand or uh, mrna because as i said the negative strand is the template for the mrna and the mrna can go and do the translation which is production of proteins and the positive strand rna is the genomic material mm-hmm. so as the minus rna produces more and more plus rna more and more genomic material comes up and on the other hand as it produces more mrna more proteins come up and if you have then equal number of proteins and genome they have some mechanisms to just bind and pack together pack together, together which is called assembly and then just so you say the, the first cell. thing that happens is this rna is con- the the rna instead of red making copies of itself first it makes these enzymes called rna dependent rna polymerases actually without that they cannot even make a copy because you need a mm-hmm. polymerase so to replicate so first they make this rna dependent rna polymerase which is a protein coded by the template strand and this this their own enzyme helps them to copy their rna 
Yes. So they initially come with a few sets of a uh, few copies of the RNA, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or does that mean that a single virion can never infect? When you say a few infect? copies of RNA, that's like every virion has one copy of so their genomic material. So that there are multiple virions affecting only them. It depends. You cannot okay. say <laughs> it depends on how much viruses you take into your body and okay. your immune system and everything. So many factors. You cannot even complete it in one. Hour. Yeah. I, well, coming back to coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So one very interesting thing is how people have have a optimistic view on it because they're making so many memes out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh but where one part of the world is just trying to reduce the tension by making fun, the other side is terrorized by the novel 2019 coronavirus also known as Wuhan coronavirus. Um because they these are affecting their day to day life mainly for the medical workers healthcare workers in china so far right china um some cases found in india and um i heard some canada us yeah it it is spread now so main thing is they are facing containment if you are a us resident but originally from china you you are just stopped in the airports you cannot come now and other than that you have to wear people in china especially have to always wear gloves uh masks and sometimes wear full plastic coverings in their body just to prevent the disease and another reason why they are using so many physical constraints is the sars which happened in 20 2002 and 2003 the main reason the the pandemic was stopped is due to public health um uh, safety measures okay yeah actually there wasn't any antivirus or vaccines made for that it was just a containment of the people using proper hand washing techniques and wearing masks that the whole pandemic was actually brought to control and now there is almost no one who has sars okay so by now if we had sars before we must have a vaccine well as i said the science was slow then mm-hmm. because people didn't even detect it to be coronavirus for a long time and then it was already spread by then and then the natural reservoir wasn't known the sequencing took time so there were multiple roadblocks roadblocks hindrances yeah but finally um when they knew everything and they wanted to make vaccines they actually have some vaccines but when they wanted to do physical trials the ep- pandemic was already over and then government was like why <laughs> use our money to make vaccines for something which doesn't exist right <laughs> and now we are back yes okay do you want to start talking about the paper Uh Okay like how do you want so to in, start So in so in this in this paper they have uh, as as the title says T cell responses against whole SARS coronavirus in human That means they are looking at what kind of uh, epitopes are detected by the T cells uh against the SARS coronavirus infected so yes. I really like the study design they have taken uh, certain patients from China who were in the convalescence Actually before you start I wanted to say why I chose this paper. Mm-hmm. Um 
Firstly, because it is also a type of coronavirus and it is very, very related to the novel 2019 coronavirus, which is going on right now. Mm-hmm. It is so much related that the receptor, the host receptor is the same, which is oh. ACE2. ACE2? Yes. Which cells express this? Um, Mm. <laughs> okay, maybe. I'm not a coronavirus scientist, especially, but I should have known that before reading a paper. Yeah, sure. anyway. <laughs> you're saying ACE2 is these receptor on the cells that. Well, it is this, from this a paper which is not peer reviewed and published yet, mm-hmm. but it is out there. Mm-hmm. And they, the experiment they did was HeLa virus do not express the ACE2. HeLa cells. HeLa cells, sorry. They don't express uh, ACE2. ACE2, yes. But. Uh, when you express the artificially express the ACE2 receptor in HeLa cells and then use some susceptible host like human, bat, swine, and civet, mm-hmm. you can see the virus infection on the cells. Okay, but they don't cause infection in bats, they just coexist, right? Yes. Okay. So, yes. really fast, ACE2 is expressed in um, human airway epithelia. Oh. So it's expressed in your lungs. Oh, well, that yeah. makes, all, uh, makes sense. That Why makes sense. It's a pulmonary disease. Yeah, I was not exactly sure what type of cell it is. Whether it's like some yeah. mucosal or epithelial or endothelial. So Does it specify there? So you're saying uh, it, it, it for sure should be in the respiratory tracts and lungs yeah. because SARS. It's um, is, human airway epithelia as well as lung parenchyma, um, polarized okay. airway epithelia, mm. the basal lateral surface of it too. Mm. Because the old SARS coronavirus as well as the <clears throat> Wuhan coronavirus use the same receptor. Yes. So they have a lot of similarity. Of course, they are in the same. Uh, are they called same species? Similar species? <laughs> Not same species for I'm sure. Very bad at but yeah. What are the from same between Wuhan and the SARS coronavirus? Uh, can you repeat? Uh, what what's the difference between the Wuhan and the SARS coronavirus if they use the same receptor? Well, they are different species. That means they are different structurally, genetically. Oh, they're similar, yeah. but you think there's certain yeah, so basically it's like the difference between uh chimpanzee and human, okay, different species. Okay, so what allows the virus to just coexist in the bat? Yeah, I was I wanted to ask that that's unique, right? That yeah, like why doesn't it just infect it? Mm-hmm. Well, the virus actually needs something, mm-hmm. so okay, to clearly say it. The virus wants to stay, replicate forever, produce as many progenies as it wants. So a successful virus will be the virus which can stay in the body of a host may like it and not kill the host or lyse the cells. That will be a successful virus. So some viruses like noroviruses in a healthy adult can keep on replicating without killing it. But if it's a virus which come and kills the host there is no point for the virus because after a few replication cycles the virus will actually die with the human body there's a hypothesis that whatever you're saying there's not a hypothesis i don't know it's a theory that says that viruses that are mediocrely uh, infectious are better at survival I, I don't remember what's that called it's act- i mean it's better for the virus to evolve in the host in such a way that it can coexist forever mm-hmm. otherwise you'll just be extinct okay imagine you are going to another planet and then 
coexisting with people in that planet. If you just kill people there, the people will find out measures to kill you or... So are you saying an ideal virus target is a reservoir and not a host? Ideally, the virus would like to just always survive in the reservoir. That, would, that way, the virus doesn't have to worry about immune responses. Immune response is another thing that the virus is trying to evolve against. Yes. Yeah. But that's the, that's the thing. If it's in a reservoir where the reservoir is welcoming it or at least not kicking it out, then it doesn't have to worry about immune response. That's true. So we, we should have an evolution. But it also likes to jump species to species. <laughs> yeah. It's more about emotional, evolutionary biology that we are, we are talking about now. Yeah, but coming back, mm -hmm. another thing is that the <laughs> coronavirus, general coronavirus has a similar structure. It consists of nucleocapsid, which is the genomic material, which is positive stranded RNA, and a capsid, which is very attached to it. And that's why they together call nucleocapsid mm -hmm. whereas you should remember that the genomic material is rna but the capsid is a protein and what's the spike, spike protein spike protein? that's you... what i was going to talk okay, about I'm sorry spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> so on top of the capsid surrounding the capsid is the envelope and the envelope is something the virus doesn't have by itself it takes it from the host oh. either from the plasma membrane or the endoplasmic reticulum or something, but the virus gains the uh, envelope always from the host. But the envelope also has some proteins which are integrated into it. And those proteins are called glycoproteins. And mm -hmm. these glycoproteins are virus originated. Okay. So one of the glycoproteins for coronavirus is spike glycoproteins. Mm -hmm. And that's a major target for vaccine development. Why? Two are reasons. Gonna, are we going to find out in this paper or we already know that before? Uh, this paper tells one thing that mm -hmm. it is highly immunogenic, but it doesn't say that the spike uh, glycoprotein acts as both a receptor for binding of virus as well as helps in fusion of the virus. Oh. Yeah. Which is, so uh, which I, I don't know why the paper didn't say because it is a very very important thing so it's help yeah you're saying it's helping the fusion of binding plus fusion of, of the virus of the virus with to virus. the host cell oh so it's also is it a receptor is it what binds to ace it's the what do you call it the ligand which binds for to ace? ace yes oh so that's the important part yes a, and i they didn't mention that in the paper mm -hmm. Yes, and this is protein spike and it's immunogenic. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... Maybe they didn't know that at that time. Yeah. They... Also, when they the virus jumps from species to species, they just make a few amino acid changes in the A's and then they can survive in the new host. Sorry, I mean, in the spike. host ha has some... I mean, yes, this virus makes some few amino acid changes in the spike and then the host ACE is very similar, mm -hmm. so it can survive in the new host. Okay. Um, are we ready to start talking about the paper? Um, yeah, another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the paper has 
uh, talks more about immunology, but it doesn't give a good enough background for, for the, the virology. Virus, yeah. Okay. Like, That's why we have you today. <laughs> like it doesn't say what symptoms it causes or how it jumps from species to species or basically the basics that would help you understand the paper more mm-hmm. and why you are actually searching for T-cell okay. epitopes for T-cell recognition. Mm-hmm. So this SARS coronavirus infects the upper and lower respiratory system of a human and other hosts. So it causes symptoms such as cough, cough, headache, uh, sore throats, shortness of breath, pneumonia, flu-like symptoms, fever, and at times low white blood cell count. And the symptoms generally appear three to seven days, which is called the incubation time of a virus mm-hmm. after the exposure to the Just virus. six to seven days? Three, to seven, three days to seven days after exposure to the virus. So that's the time the virus takes to get to know your body and attack the cells and act accordingly, which is called the incubation time. That's a short incubation period, is it, for the viruses? I, I think it's pretty common that? even for like influenza and lung-based okay. viruses. I've heard that this current one has like an incubation day of 14 days. Like yeah, it's pretty long comparison. Yeah, that's about double. Mm-hmm. Still not too long. It's a good thing. I would rather be infected with a virus that has a shorter incubation period. So I know. Yeah, that's actually that's actually why some people question. are able to. Um, while viruses are in the incubation stage, are they still contagious? So like, if someone has the virus, it's mm-hmm. being incubated in their body. Can they still spread it while it's incubating, or do they need to start I, showing symptoms? So when sometimes you have the virus and you never show symptoms, that means you're a carrier, and yes, even then you can spread. Okay. Is that a, like a reservoir? You, no. Yeah, no it depends on the immune system. Reservoir if the whole species oh. can not show symptoms. Okay, so carrier is just a particular individual who has the virus and somehow is living yes. with it. But the whole species is still uh, vulnerable. Yes. Okay. Hey Jonathan, what were you saying? Uh, it's kind of how people are allowed to like go on airplanes without even knowing that they're sick mm-hmm. and then from China to America, and that's how they got in. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's one of the best thing about incubation time that you don't know, and then you travel to places or you meet people, and then the virus spreads. So the virus is really intelligent mm-hmm. that way. So a longer incubation time would favor viruses. That's again, it I... depends. The virus wants to replicate too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like so... a- I like HIV. Yeah. Or wait, no, that's an that's a bacteria. That was mycobacterium leprae. That yeah, also has a very long, long but mm-hmm. still it's a, it's a pathogen so that also has a very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Late it's infectious. Is it infectious? The leprosy? Yeah, mycobacterium uh, leprae. Yeah, of course mm-hmm. it causes leprosy, so Yeah, I don't know why I asked that. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're jumping too much, you know too much stuff now, just <laughs> Okay. Um yeah, what else? Uh, Okay, why why do you think it is spreading and causing a pandemic? What do you think first uh, is the reason for it to emerge and then spread? Is it because we don't have immu- these uh, immunity against any of its relatives? 
We yeah. have actually when I say that the coronavirus has been there forever, there were some species of coronavirus which caused upper respiratory syndrome, but it was like it could be recognized by immune system and cancer. What do you guys think? How did it spread? Coughing. Hmm? Like just coughing. through coughing. <laughs> yeah, just that's, through like yeah, that's uh surely a way of transmission. But I mean, what made it um, to a pandemic? Yeah, because influenza is also influenza. I mean, it's a virus, so viruses are really hard to treat. Um, a lot of times, antivirals—it's hard to get antivirals for viruses. They're not mm -hmm. as effective as antibiotics. I mean, um, the and, answers I was searching were <laughs> the firstly it emerged due to multiple reasons, such as climate change being one of them, mm -hmm. and then it spread a lot, becoming a pandemic due to um firstly the air travels as mm -hmm. you all know then in this because of industrialization people are living so close to each other and which is causing the spread to be rapid uh, what do you mean by like climate change yeah how is that help how is climate change it? affecting viruses okay so there are viruses well i have to go to a generic term now mm -hmm. but there are viruses found inside deep inside some eyes mm -hmm. uh, which was never first released so actually not only viruses because of climate change there has been emerging emergence of multiple new pathogens mm -hmm. and i mean the species jump and everything is it because the current species are changing because of the climate change and the virus needs better hosts or is it the is it the host that's I don't, I don't know which part of the climate change is affecting the viruses is it the climate change itself or are animals moving to different areas it, it can be both direct as well as indirect just like i said that if the ice block melts the viruses which were inside there for centuries in the in the ice for yeah the, oh are getting released it can also be indirect like it is causing some patterns change in birds and animals which are either the vectors or the whole uh, natural reservoir making them move to different move places. to different places oh yeah that can, that can make even and i think if uh, if a natural reservoir gets endangered or getting extinct the virus is forced to evolve and find that's hosts. that's another thing and another thing is you are destroying the place that animals live in so mm -hmm. like deforestation and stuff mm -hmm. so animals are living more in the cities and you people don't exactly know how what kind of pathogens are infecting things like lizards mm -hmm. frogs alligators but they're living all around you yeah yeah okay let's start um, now. let's start the paper so in this yes. paper, they they have taken. This is a 2008 paper, mm -hmm. and in 2008 they predicted <laughs> an outbreak in future. That's not exactly of SARS, though. Not SARS, yeah. but still they they predicted an outbreak of coronavirus, and uh, in this paper they have taken patients uh, from China who are in the convalescent stage. That means in the recovery. And they are trying to see what, uh, if these patients survive. It must be partly because of their immune system. So they are trying to look at what all epitopes the T cells are um, recognizing. And one of the things that they have mentioned here is that um, 
patients who recovered uh, who recovered earlier had higher levels of uh, neutralizing antibodies. Tanu, uh, can you tell us what are neutralizing antibodies? The neutralizing antibodies are the specific antibodies which can actually bind to the virus plus uh, I mean bind to the virus bound cell or the virus itself mm -hmm. and stop the spreading of the virus or kill the virus. So it could be binding to something which is required for the virus to either replicate or enter the host, something essential. Yeah, like I said, the spike protein is a target here okay. mainly. Okay. And they've also shown that any, uh, they've also observed that people who had longer illnesses, they had less, uh, fewer uh, levels of neutralizing antibodies, which is something you would expect. So mm -hmm. I think that, uh, this information just tells us that the presence of neutralizing antibodies or just your overall immune response was a key determinant how fast these people recovered. Mm -hmm. um, and or whether the virus caused fatality or not yes. also depends on Oh yeah, they have talked, antibody they have talked about there, There's a lot of result, uh, results in this, so mm -hmm. we'll have to uh, just talk about important stuff so that uh, <laughs> we, we keep everything in check. Yes, yeah, so it says patients had pathology. Why don't you let the undergrads yeah. talk for once? <laughs> You're confusing So everyone. there's uh, one thing that I was a little confused about. Um, the better outcomes for the patients came from um, a better antibody response. Mm -hmm. However, in the actual ratios of CD8 cells to CD4 cells that responded, it was mostly a CD8 response. Mm -hmm. So would more CD4 cells responding, which are kind of tied into B cells being upregulated and then more antibodies, would inducing a greater CD4 response help with the outcomes for the patients? So that's a, that's a good question. Um, so I'll just tell you what you just said. Uh, again, this results had higher CD8 cells, mm -hmm. higher CD8 positive T cells against um, against viral proteins compared to CD4 T cells. Yeah. And they both are required for different things. The CD4 T cells, they are the helpers and these helpers not only help the B cells in making antibodies, they're also allowing the CD8 T cells to be activated. CD4 T cells are the bridge between an antigen presenting cell and the CD8 positive T cell. So when a CD8 positive T cell works by binding to the MHC1 on a host cell, and if there is a viral protein being expressed on the host cell, it will kill that cell. But in order for this CD8 T cell to be activated, it first needs to get uh, needs to get receive some signals from an ABC, the antigen presenting cell. The antigen presenting cell is is also waiting for a CD4 T cell to have a, a kind of cross activation. This the antigen presenting cell activates the CD4. The CD4 T suppository cell in turn licenses this antigen presenting cell to go and activate other CD8 T cells. So without the CD4s, the CD8s uh, are no use. Mm -hmm. So CD8s are required because they're directly killing uh, virally infected cells. CD4 T cells are helping in activation of CD8 positive. At the same time, CD4 positive T cells are also activating um, follicular T cells, follicular B cells. So follicular B cells, I'm just talking about follicular B cells. There is another class called extra follicular, which I will not go through because these guys have not mentioned it. And usually if there's a high affinity antibodies, these are from follicle, which are present inside the secondary lymphoid organs. 
So these follicular B cells, they produce uh, high affinity antibodies uh, through a whole process of differentiation, and they need the T cell help, and the mm -hmm. helper T cells are required right there. Yeah. So, and also I don't think there is a lot of CD4 T cells required. You just need a few okay. CD4 T cells to get the job done. Uh, CD8 T cells are required, but just because they're directly killing the cells. Yeah. So they're directly going cell to cell and killing. So I think that's why they're required. Okay. So you don't think an increase in CD4 cells would? I think an increase is required, but not a giant, uh, a tremendous increase. Okay. So if there required. was some sort of stimulation of a few more CD4 cells, it might help. Yes. So they did an assay in this uh, in in this. Um, paper that I really like. It's called an overlapping peptide assay. So what they're doing is um, they are making these uh, peptide, uh, different peptides, so, uh, each peptide being about 15 uh, amino acid long. And they're making overlapping peptides to cover the whole uh, proteome of the uh, SARS coronavirus. So, and then they are taking PBMCs, which are peripheral blood mononuclear cells. These are all the uh, white blood cells, excluding neutrophils, which are called polymorphonuclear, and basophils, which are also polymorphonuclear, also uh, neutrophils. So these don't have granulocytes mostly. I, I think mast cells, maybe I'm not sure about mast cells. But the whole point about this PBMCs is that these have the B cells, they have the T cells, and they have other antigen presenting cells like uh, dendritic cells, macrophages. And Anything which has one nucleus. All of these have some yes. one nucleus. So these are peripheral blood mm -hmm. mononuclear cells. What they're doing is they're preparing these multiple uh, overlapping peptides and they are seeing if any of the patients, uh, PBMCs, respond to the, they, they respond to these peptides. And a very important part here is instead of using a pure T-cell culture, they're using PBMCs because T-cells by themselves cannot recognize peptides. T-cells need this peptide to be presented on an MFC2 or 1, which is to the APC. So B-cells could be APCs, dendritic cells could be APCs, macrophages could be APCs. I didn't know B-cells could be APCs. Oh, B-cells are very important APCs. They, in, in some cases, B-cells present antigens even before dendritic cells. I don't know about virus. Yes, because I know the dendritic cells and the macrophages, they are present in the tissues. Mm -hmm. So the virus, when they're infecting the cells, they also infect those cells. Mm -hmm. But they, it can be two, it can go two ways. Either the virus can use those APCs as Trojan horses and go spread throughout the body, infecting other cells through lymphatic vessels and lymph nodes, or this uh, APCs could take the virus, travel through the limb vessels, go mm -hmm. to the lymph nodes, and then interact with the main active cells can immune cells there. Things, uh, because if there is, th there are already some antibodies in the serum that's produced by another class of B cells that I'm not going to talk about. But when these B cells make antibodies, they can grab some viruses. Okay. And these antibodies can bind to FC receptors either on, yeah. on B cells or other APC. Mm -hmm. And that's one way how this virus gets internalized with the antibody. So and you're this saying gets that the antibody is the th one who does antibodies. So one of the way, yeah, so one of the ways is if the B cell captures an antibody that's already floating around, 
or the B the cell. The B cell is not there in the tissues. No, it can be there. It, B cells can be there in tissues. Oh, yeah. I thought it's in. I am pretty sure B cells can be there in in tissues if if they are activated. And uh, oh, you mean plasma cells? No, 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 B cells. Not pl- plasma cells. I don't. I'm not sure if plasma cells uh, go throughout the uh, blood. I know that plasma cells mostly reside in the bone marrow, and they make antibodies. But yeah, so so B cells. If and another way, if it's not a random antibody floating, B cells also have membrane-bound antibodies. So if a virus just happens to be meeting the right B cell, which has a membrane-bound antibody, it will capture it. The B cell receptor will be internalized, and this B cell will get activated. It can present this virus to CD4 positive B cells. So that's one way. But anyway, where were we? The overlapping peptides. The overlapping peptides. Yeah, so they are looking at how many uh, how many patients respond to these overlapping uh, peptides, mm-hmm. and what they've done is they have uh, they have different wells. Uh, each well has a, a, a combination of uh, overlapping peptides, and these wells are coated with anti-interferon gamma antibodies. Interferon gamma is a is a very potent cytokine that. Can reduce uh, viral infections, mm-hmm. so they're just looking at T cells that are producing interferon gamma in uh, presence of this peptide. So whenever you have, uh, inter- whenever you have a T cell that binds to a peptide, it's going to produce interferon gamma. That's interferon gamma will bind to the antibodies that are coated on the plate and give a signal. Mm-hmm. That's what the authors are looking for, and they found that uh, the certain certain uh, a lot not everybody except of course not everybody was making interferon gamma not everybody has t cells specific for peptides but more than 50 percent patients had uh peptide specific t cells and uh, and uh they sh- they're showing that uh, most of these t cell responses were against um structural proteins uh like the spike and so, another interesting thing is they said that the replicase, which is about two third of the viral genome, proteome, proteome, it's such a large part of the proteome. Yet there were very few T cell responses against the replicase. Anyway, yeah, you were talking about uh, structural proteins. Yes. So the structural proteins are the proteins which make up the capsid, or which are integrated in the envelope. Whereas the non-structural proteins are the proteins which act as enzymes mm-hmm. for the virus. So here, um, the replicates would be a non-structural. Protein. Yes, non replicates will be a non-structural, whereas the spike, envelope, membrane, nucleocapsid will be structural proteins. Okay, and it's clear that these uh, structural proteins are more immunogenic than the non-structural proteins. Which makes sense because antibody, I don't know, will detect it, detect the structural parts of it and not the enzymes which the viruses are making. I, I, I'm not sure. I know there are certain amino acid sequences that are more immunogenic because they bind to the MHCs much uh, closely, more tightly than other amino acid sequences. Mm-hmm. And T cells don't care if something is outside or inside compared to antibodies. Antibodies can bind to things that are on the surface, but T cells, the T cell receptors are binding through pep to peptide yeah. present in our MHC, which is chopped up. Mm-hmm. So it, this peptide could have been anywhere in the proteome, and it's 
it's it's just binding there. So T cells actually prefer binding to hydrophobic portions. So I don't think T cells are limited by that. But as I said, certain peptides bind better to NFCs. So it could be that these structural proteins are just better presentable on NFCs. Yeah, I was about to say I found that kind of interesting because most of the time um, T cells recognize essentially the insides of proteins, but the fact that it's recognizing structural proteins is a little unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am I'm going to skip some parts of this study because just, it's just that there are a lot of things going on in this, but uh, the meat of the paper is that they show that CD8 positive T cells, uh, they were not significantly different in people who had recovered earlier, who had less severe disease, and who had, uh, who had the severe disease. So mild disease versus severe disease, the total CA positive T cells specific to peptides, they were about the same. What was differing are the number of CD4 positive T cells. They, they saw that uh, the patients who had a severe form of uh, the uh, SARS, they had higher CD4 positive T cells compared to the mild symptom ones who had a mild disease and they recovered, they had less CD4 T cells. So it could be either the CD4 positive T cells are causing the disease or they are a result of a higher infection. We cannot conclude that. I think since these people recovered from the disease, they're probably, these CD4 positive T cells are probably helping than causing the disease. That's what the papers say that that's maybe the reason that they actually recovered. Yes. Yeah. And, and they also say that the strong T cell responses actually are correlating with the strong neutralizing antibody response. Oh yeah, that's important. And yes. since uh, CD4 T cells are required for antibody, uh, antibody production, production, so it all makes yes. sense, right? Now they also they also uh, look for some cytokines uh, in the serum, and here's something here's something interesting. So this uh, this is a, another cohort of patients that they are looking at. Uh, somehow they were, uh, oh wait, 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 no, these are the patients who are actually in, have acute SARS right now. So previously we were looking at patients who had recovered. recovered. Now they are looking at patients who have acute SARS. So I think they were not allowed to collect PBMCs because that requires a lot of blood, but they did collect serum, which does not require as much blood. And they saw that patients who had uh, recovered had higher so in, from the previous cohort the patients who had recovered had higher uh, interferon gamma and il2 compared to those patients who were very sick or even died who were fatal so that uh, that tells you interferon gamma and il12 they're both very much required for um for survival Antiviral response and the interferon gamma does a lot of things one of those one of the things that interferon gamma does that I want to point out here is it upregulates MHC class two. MHC when MHC class two is upregulated on APCs, the presentation becomes much more easier, and CD4 T CD4 positive T cells can find the right APC very quickly. So I think that's very important. Another uh, important cytokine in this one is IL12. IL12 is made by APCs. IL2, IL12, or IL2? IL12. Yeah. I, I thought you said IL2. Uh, so IL-12 is required for the activation of T-cells. When T-cells, so T-cells actually require three signals. For Which T-cell are you talking about? Both CD4 and CD8. Okay. And uh, 
IL-12 is a part of is the signal number three that these cells require for activation. The signal number signal number one is the MHC interaction. Signal mm -hmm. number two is the co-stimulation that comes from certain molecules on APC. Mm -hmm. Signal number three is IL. Uh, one of the signal one of the ways signal number three could be given is IL-12. And uh, without IL-12, these T cells will not be as effective. In so fact, you, you in mean, fact, when they receive IL-12, they start secreting interferon gamma in response. So they both, it, it makes complete sense. IL-12 is a kind of an enhancer and not as absolutely needed. Yes, I think it's I think it's needed. It, T cells don't work as well without IL-12, but they can still work. Okay. Okay, so we know that interferon gamma and IL-12 were higher in recovered people compared to people who died. Mm -hmm. Next, they showed that there are these cytokines IL-4 IL-5 and IL-10 who were lower in recovered versus fatal. That means people who had recovered, they had less of IL-4, IL-5 and IL-10. And here I want to point out a very important um, part of T-cell polarization. So T-cells, I'll, I'll go back to very old times just to simplify. We used to think that uh, T-cells can either have a, a a pro-inflammatory intracellular immunity that is called the T helper one cells. Then or T cells could become specialized for fighting extracellular parasites. And that kind of T cells were called T helper two cells. I'll provide a, a very small detail about the epigenetics because it's important. When T helper one cells, they are activated by cytokines called inter interleukin 12 and they secrete cytokines like interferon gamma. T helper 2 cells, they are activated by IL-4, 5, 10, and they also make IL-4 and IL-10. So these are two different cytokine sets that represent two different phenotypes. When a T helper 1 cell becomes a T helper 1 cell, okay, mm -hmm. there are repressive epigenetic marks on the T helper 2 side of the genome. So that the genome will never or very likely not going to turn into a T helper 2 cell later. Similarly, when a, help, when a T cell becomes a T helper 2 cell, there are epigenetic repressive marks. When I say repressive marks, I mean methylation or deacetylation. These are added to the, uh, gen to the epigenomic part which uh, governs the T helper 1 cell. So a T helper 2, when it's, once it takes that fate, it is very likely not going to convert to T helper 1. Similarly, when a TLPR1 takes the fate, it does not want to convert to TLPR2 because of these epigenetic marks. So, lower IL4, 5, 10 means that these had uh, much higher TLPR1 cells compared to TLPR2 cells. And it makes complete sense because TLPR1 cells are required for fighting off intracellular pathogens like viruses. While TLPR2 cells, I don't think TLPR2 cells are going to help in any way, but the problem is when T cells become TL for two, they don't become TL for one. So that might be the reason these uh, these patients died because they did not have proper TL for one response. Is that clear? And the last one, they showed that higher IL one, IL six were found in recovered versus uh, fatal versus those who died. IL one and IL six, these are called acute phase cytokines. And one of the things that these cytokines do is they activate the endothelium. Endothelium, so initially endothelium is the endothelial cells are the, um, the vascular cells mm -hmm. which form the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. 
it was previously thought that endothelial cells the only function they 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 uh, carry out is act as a wall as a wall yes, yes. that was thought <laughs> but but now we know that endothelial cells are actually pretty active and immune responsive when you treat them with the right cytokine the uh, the endothelial cells can upregulate uh, receptors that will allow t cells or b cells or other uh, pdmcs to bind and be able to cross this barrier so endothelial cells can change in response to cytokines and it can they can allow extravasation passing of these t cells through and they allow the t cells to go through the tissues right so IL-1 analysis one of those cytokines that activate the endothelium. So I think that makes complete sense. Hmm. They also show a lower IL-8 in recovered versus fatal. IL-8 is a chemokine that brings in neutrophils, but I'm not sure how that will help. Maybe neutrophils are not required for this kind of viruses. Well, neutrophils and the innate immunity in general are always the first line of defense and are required as soon as the virus mm -hmm attacks the body but the virus can still survive and actually survive forever if the innate immunity doesn't activate the ad adaptive exactly. immunity uh, so the adaptive okay. immunity is required to completely kill off the pathogen and make the host that is again. possible i'm not i'm not sure about this one why lower il il8 interleukin 8 corresponded with uh, mm. reduced Maybe in the, you know, maybe once the disease has already reached kind of that critical point, ILA was kind of upregulated as a last ditch effort to try mm -hmm. to clear out as much of the virus as possible. That is that is possible, yeah. And also, I think if the adaptive immune response is not adequate, ILA is just the result of an exaggerated innate response. Yeah. Um, I think ILA can be produced by a lot of cells, including endothelial cells. Yeah. So that makes sense, uh, and I think I think these are the kind of results that I wanted to focus on. Um, are there anything else do you want to talk about, especially in the results? Not exactly. I think you covered everything. Other than that, there were few very specific points, including the role of age mm -hmm. in symptoms, because generally for viral diseases, it's more than the virus it's the symptoms or the immune system response that is killing you yes yeah so it's the pneumonia stopping of your like blocking of your breathing or extreme like for other viruses extreme diarrhea dehydration that is actually the cause of your death and not the virus itself mm -hmm. so that may also relate to your il8 point that, that is possible yeah maybe yeah, maybe because due to are due to the, the inflammation you are having problems in breathing and then you are finally it is turning to a fatal case oh yeah i i i just realized yes this is a pulmonary disease so if there is a lot of neutrophils in your uh, in your lungs yes. you could not have a very good life after that mm -hmm. so, and patients <laughs> do have pneumonia in this case yeah yeah the as uh, summarizing this, we can say that people who had recovered versus people who had died or were in a very bad shape, they had a higher T helper one responses compared to T helper two responses, and they also had the people who recovered also had higher neutralizing antibodies and helper T cells. CDH cells were there, but we did not find any differences in the mild, mildly sick people versus uh, severely sick and had recovered. <laughs> 
So <laughs> theoretically, uh, since you said that viruses uh, work off or the damage done by the viruses is done by the immune response, if we had lowered the immune response for the people who had died, mm -hmm. would they have like a better outcome until their bodies could be prepared to actually fight it? If you actually make them immunosuppressant, I think the virus can coexist with you, replicate for I am not sure because some viruses, they <clears throat> kill the cells, right? It's they like HIV, you mean? HIV can, I, I know some of cells, the viruses don't they have a lytic cycle, like they destroy the cell when they holes in the cell when it's out. Yeah, that's I like whole another field because <laughs> now people are arguing that not all, not the lytic viruses are always lytic. They can burn out of cells, not killing the cells. That's a whole new research. We are not talking about that today. Okay. You guys have any other questions? Uh, no. I like this paper. It was straightforward. Exactly what mm -hmm. 2008 would have. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, a easy paper, and this can be a first step for people who want to work with the Wuhan coronavirus. A very very first basic step of what previous researchers has been done to for you to follow, and then replicate, and then move forward from it. They also talk about a lot of vaccine strategies. Mm -hmm. and give reference to papers which have more st vaccine studies in them which can also be referred for the new coronavirus yeah because they're so similar i thought this paper was really good it's really good for what's going on right now mm -hmm. right before we uh, end there is an email from one of our listeners that i want to read uh, this is uh, Diana. She says, I'm a graduate student at the Medical University of South Carolina and recently discovered your podcast. I'm a huge fan. I wish I had, I had found it when I was taking some of my basic immuno classes. The episode, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish that. The basic, base, the episode reviewing the different immune cells was really helpful for me even now. I also never pieced together facts about baso eosinophils being attracted to positive and negative dyes. Clearly, I don't do much IHC in my work. Thanks for the great info. Also, just throwing out there, but my project is on complement and I would love to vo uh, volunteer to do a guest appearance about complement with you two. I listened to your exome episode and heard you are starting to do guest appearances. My lab has published a ton of complement papers, so I would be happy to focus it on a certain paper from my lab on another lab, if that is what you all prefer. Totally understand if you aren't interested or have another guest for compliment, <laughs> but I got really excited when I heard you say you were taking guests to talk about topics. I've developed a love for compliment. Hard to believe, I know. <laughs> I saw, so I would be excited to talk about it with everyone. Keep up the good podcasting, Diana. And compliments are very tough. I Yeah, I, I, I've always been kind of curious about compliment because I've heard about it, but I've never actually tried to dive into it and see how it works. All I know is that it's little proteins that kind of, yeah. I think people like outside immunology know very, very little about compliment, like me. Yeah, <laughs> so I, 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 I don't love, I don't love I to think, have an episode on that. I think even people who are into immunology don't know much about compliments because mm -hmm. it's while people mostly see it as an innate immunity, I think it also has impacts on the adaptive part. And uh, maybe yeah. I, I, I would I would love to uh, have Diana on this on the show. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. She could talk about uh, the compliments. Thanks for the email, Diana. And thank you all for coming here. It was great having this discussion. Yeah. See you all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.